0: This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com writingexcuses. Season 14. Episode
1: 33. This is Writing Excuses, writing in perfect worlds.
0: Fifteen minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Mary Rubinett. I'm Margaret.
1: And I'm Howard. And I'm going to ask you, how do you write a setting in which the pervasive ideas, cultural ideas, or cultural norms are not ones that you think should be?
0: That's basically my entire existence with every piece of fiction I write because I am a woman in modern-day America. <laughs> yeah, you, you, <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> said, you, said, you said imperfect and any,
2: <laughs> any piece of nonfiction— is yeah. inherently going to be the writing of an imperfect world. Well, I, would, I would say that uh, the question you're asking is more along the lines of writing deeply flawed worlds <laughs> Yes. Uh, in order to help us, and I guess this isn't part of your question, it'd be part of my answer, uh, you write these in order to help us better understand the imperfections of our own world and how we might go about solving them.
3: Well, and I think we've seen a lot of popularity of this genre in recent world in recent years. I mean, what else is something like the Hunger Games? They've created this deeply flawed, mm-hmm. imperfect society that is clearly unfair, and it exists to give Katniss something that's worth fighting against. You know, it's there's that you know you're setting up a big bad guy, and there's no. Bigger bad guy than society. Yeah,
0: Handmaid's Tale is another good example. And a lot of times, what you're looking at here is taking a, an imperfection in our world mm-hmm. and pushing it. Yeah, when you're creating a science fictional society, I write a lot of historical stuff, which is going into areas where it's like, you know, the 1950s Jim Crow is still very much a thing. The the glamorous histories. The Reg- Regency England, which we all love, is built on a base of slavery. So um, these are these are things that one of the challenges is writing it in such a way that
3: doesn't tell the reader, this is okay, and valorizes it. Right. I I know one time when Mad Men was coming out, and I think it was in, like, season one or season two, and I watched a couple episodes, and I'm like, hey, Mom, have you ever watched Mad Men? And her response was, no, thank you, I lived it. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I had—it's not necessarily the imperfect world. Eh, it is not relevant. I need not cite this example.
1: Right. Okay, Um. so— Yeah, um, uh, I would say the first thing that I have tried when I've done this is kind of lampshade it. Mm -hmm. It's um, it can be difficult because uh, I think your first instinct is to have your protagonist be the person who is not as sexist or racist or uh, ist as the culture around them. Um, Which, to be perfectly honest, I am okay with picking up a story and then reading it and being like, oh. Because there were people even back in, um, in Regency times who were like, this is not okay. Um,
0: whole anti-evolutionist yeah. mm-hmm. um, movement there.
1: And, you know, that is certainly one approach to it. And I actually kind of appreciate, like, Mary, that you walk that line. I would say um, a lot of times your protagonists are several steps further along than the average person, but they are s- they still have blind spots that they end up usually getting confronted by in the story. And so it's, it's not this perfect uh, character who has no problems, but at the same time, it makes me sympathetic toward the character because at least they have the blinders a little bit further open and it kind of makes me think, you know, I probably still have my blinders on to In an extent. Fact, you're
0: doing that right now with blinder and blind okay. as a, yeah, as a yeah. Uh, term. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, which is one of those things that I have worked very hard to train out of my own vocabulary. Mm-hmm. Uh and and talk about uh spots where I'm I'm ignorant, spots where I, I have a lack of knowledge or lack of awareness. Um but it is it's very easy when you're you're writing these to to trip up on stuff that uh that society has imprinted you with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and so one of the, the fun things about doing this, one of the reasons to do that is to interrogate these things and to, to look at them and sort of hold them up to the lens and use science fiction and fantasy to tip them to the side.
3: Yeah, for me, when, for me where I hit the line is where I'm reading a book. Because sometimes it's fun to read books that takes place in worlds that are not like ours. It's why we mm-hmm. read fantasy and science fiction and sometimes it's even fun to read in, you know, stories in a pseudo-medieval setting where gender equity is steps back from where it is today, shall we say. For me is where I reach the line where I feel like I've started to read oppression porn. Hmm. And it's like, this was just written to talk about, oh, how terrible it was to be X in X time or in this scenario. Yeah. Um, I love the, uh, Bujold's The Curse of Chalion books. And it's like, and there is a lot of sexism and allusion to sexual violence in those. It's not explicit, but there is this kind of threat of your main character being a woman. There's stuff that she is worried about. For me, that doesn't cross the line. Everyone places their lines in different places what they're comfortable reading. But it's not a story that's about, like, oh no, I'm going out into the world, what's going to happen to me now?
2: In the, uh, around 2015, the schlock mercenary installments, uh, our cast finds a giant abandoned station, if you will, world-sized, that makes them incredibly wealthy. In the 2018-2019 installments, uh, the original inhabitants turn out to never have left and they want their stuff back. And yes, you can take a step back and look at this and say, oh my gosh, this is exactly like what would happen if the indigenous peoples of the Americas or Australia or wherever, you know, rose up and demanded all of their land back. What would we do? Well, it's not exactly like that, but having the protagonist deal with it in a way that says, you know what, um, <laughs> they're right, this isn't my stuff it's their stuff not a whole lot i can do about that we now have an enormous debt which is part of our plot problem and the story is not about returning things to indigenous peoples the story is about uh we made an enormous budgeting mistake and now we have uh and now we have we have problems to solve um it's uh it, it's fun to write, and having a protagonist who, uh, who recognizes, oh, 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 somebody lives here, actually still does live here, and immediately said, "Well, okay, that's."
0: A lot of times, what I think fiction is doing, and, and especially when we're dealing with imperfect worlds, is it's giving us a script that we can use and take take into the real world. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things that. I do that. That is actually uh, the opposite of writing an imperfect world. Is that I, I tend to write uh, happily committed married couples, and I do that because I so rarely see it in fiction. And I see a lot of people who have taken their social cues from these these narratives about about men who are stalkers and men who are abusive. And it's like that's that's not the relationship that you should be aiming for. And so when you, when you deal with an imperfect world and you have a character who is coming to grips with their own imperfections, it gives the reader a, a, a script and a, and a lens with which to interrogate their own stuff. I, I know that I, that's certainly one of the things, the side effects that happens when I read. And, uh, and, and it is one of the things that I think fiction and science fiction and fantasy particularly do very well
4: if you're a woman over forty
0: dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at MIDI Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.
1: Let's stop for our book of the week, which is actually Mary's book.
0: All right. <laughs> Uh, I've been talking a lot, but I'll talk some more. Um, so The Faded Sky is the second book in my Lady Astronaut series. And the reason I suggested this book for the book of the week um, is because it is set in the 1950s. It is set in the heart of the civil rights era. Um, and it is dealing with a lot of the problems that are inherent in the world at that time. My main character, uh, Elma, is not actually a completely reliable narrator. it's first person narration, and there's another character who uh, who has been her antagonist for the entire book and as this book unfolds, we find that as she is interrogating the her assumptions that and and he is interrogating his that there is uh, there's actually more common ground than either of them thought. but the big thing for me with this. Is, uh, is the idea of the narratives that we bring into relationships, that when we are describing uh, our relationship to someone else, it's like, oh, I hate him, he hates me. And that's the narrative. And that's, that's part of what happens with an imperfect world is that it, it's built by people who come with their own narratives that they're applying to just stuff that happens.
1: Um, I haven't read the second one yet, but I've read the first one, and the first one deals with this same sort of thing, and I loved it. Thank you. Um, it, it is one of the. It, it was just really, really interesting and fun to read, um, and eye-opening at the same time. I so.
0: suppose I should mention that this is a book about going to Mars yeah. in the nineteen fifties when women are uh, the computers because we don't haven't miniaturized. Computers, yeah, yeah. with They're, punch cards. With punch cards, it's an alternate history. An alternate history, and and in perfect, there is an entire chapter that is nothing but clean uh, zero g toilet repair. Awesome. <laughs> the, Selling points. Sign you me. Up. <laughs> do, you use, do you
2: use the word milk dud?
0: <sighs> no, uh, but we do talk about satellites in orbit.
1: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so. Veering back, um, I was just
3: remembering all of the rocketry euphemisms in the first oh book. I'm like what different euphemism
1: what um what do you guys do you have an opinion on stories that um, are set in a historical period or um in a fantasy world that just tries to pretend the problem was never there, meaning People who want to write a steampunk story and just say, you know what, we're going to write an alternate history version where this is an issue. Or people who write a fa- fantasy novel where they say, you know what, in my world, racism just isn't an issue. We're not going to deal with it. The the
0: thing is um – there there are parts of me that, that love these optimistic visions of the world. I, I think when you're doing steampunk and doing that, you actually have to move it to a different world. You can't just erase history. That that is deeply problematic. Uh it's taking a lot of people's pain and going, ah, I just don't want to deal with your pain, so I'm not going to. I'm not gonna acknowledge that you've been hurt. I'm just gonna goggle stresses and overalls. Whee! Right. Um
1: And I can I yeah. don't wanna but this is uh this is something that um is very natural to start doing, Mm -hmm. um, and is a place where you might end up having to confront some of your biases, um, because natural human instinct is, oh, I'll make it better.
0: Yeah.
1: Isn't it just better?
0: If that never happened. If that never happened. And while, yes, that would be. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, it, it did happen um the the other thing uh that that i would say has just slipped out of my head so margaret you talk since you had a fi- th- thing you wanted to say i w-
3: i was i was saying that i don't want to say that you can never, it's like oh i think a trap that it that one can fall into In say steampunk or historical period, and you know that racism was a problem or sexism was a problem, but you don't want to deal with that. And the way to not deal with not dealing with that is to not have, say, any characters of color in your book so that lets you ignore racism. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's the bad way of dealing with that. that. I mean, clearly, if you're doing steampunk, you're creating an alternate history. You know, there were not, you know, giant rail lines of flying zeppelins. And I don't even know how that would, why you'd have a rail line if you were flying. But But still. Whatever, it wasn't there. But if that's the only thing you've changed and everybody is also still white and upper class and it's like... And, and who is shoveling coal and how are we thinking about this? Yeah,
0: and that, that for me is the thing that, unfortunately, as a species, we tend to just always other people. And if we're not going to do it along race lines or gender lines, we're going to find something else. That There is always, unfortunately, going to be oppression. I wish that that were not the case, but I find it difficult to to believe that there wouldn't be some form of oppression. um so when you when you decide that it's like, you know what, I'm not going to have racism, uh, but there will still be some other it's like there's something unfortunately is going to fill that gap there, there needs going to be, to be
2: an, there needs to be an unjust imbalance there's going somewhere. to be ramifications
3: oh. of it's, that choice it's ignoring the fact that this lifestyle was made possible because of an oppressed underclass yes
1: mm-hmm. yeah
3: yeah and and uh, honestly folks and this is an uncomfortable truth
0: to hear the it's still the case yes like The majority of the wealth in the world is in the United States. And even if you are poor, there are people in the world who are supporting your lifestyle who have it worse than you.
2: Yeah, there's a a concept that's super useful for trying to understand the unjust imbalances, uh, marginalizations. And that is the concept of an external cost. And if you want to write a flawed society... Uh, think about what the external cost is. A good example of external cost is secondhand smoke. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to smoke. Yes, it costs me something, but it also makes everyone around me uncomfortable, and it changes the smell of the room. and uh, And that one's kind of kind of obvious. Uh, what if the what if the cigarette smoker couldn't get cancer, and and there is no primary cost for them? Suddenly, we have an unjust imbalance that that's really unjust. Uh, so look at look at external costs. and as you are creating your as you're creating your society, your secondary world fantasy, your far-flung future, ask yourself who benefits from the external cost and who is paying the external cost unjustly. Mm-hmm.
1: So, last question along this topic. Um, you want to write a protagonist who is a product of their society and therefore um, has certain biases that we would consider reprehensible. You don't want to um let's say you're writing a historical novel. Um, you want to be realistic, though sometimes realism is used as an excuse for things, um as we, we've talked about before, but you want to you want to be realistic. You don't want this character to be villainous, but you also want them to be a product of their society. Any tips?
0: One of the things that I do is always have someone that can comment or call them on their bullshit. Okay. Um, and Because that's, that's one of the ways that you can let the reader know that this character is reprehensible, but that you are not giving approval to that. Uh, because there's a difference between the character being reprehensible and the text saying that that reprehensible trait mm-hmm. is is a good and positive thing. Um, so having someone who can call them on it, having there be consequences for the reprehensible trait, these are, these are things that I think uh, can can help when you're doing that. The, the other aspect of that is trying to understand why the character has those opinions. Sometimes it's just the way they were raised and imprinted, and they, they have no idea that those things are false or, or, or bad or problematic. Um, and sometimes it's uh more frequently when you're dealing with forms of oppression, there is a sense of of safety uh that, that has been challenged in some way, uh, and that that they think that by maintaining this particular status quo that they will maintain their own security, uh, or that that they will lose something if if the status quo shifts. So if you think about the whys of their choices and their opinions. That's going to help you have a character that isn't just, I I have this, t- I'm evil. Yeah. Evilness
3: is evil. I'm thinking also if you have a protagonist who is a product of an imperfect society and being a product, you want to be able to say, it's like, well, yes, they probably hold some of these imperfect views. What I would be careful of is making sure, since I'll probably have other characters of this society who have similar views, who are villains – making sure I'm not giving my protagonist a pass on their imperfect views yeah. just because they happen to be the protagonist. It's a
1: very good point. Yeah.
3: It's like, he's a great guy, so it's okay that— and that's where I think it can get really sticky. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, I'm going to give us our homework today. Your homework is actually to take a character who is either in— some media form or someone you have written who is a wish fulfillment character. This is a character for whom things have gone really well. Um, things might be easy. They're at the top of their power structure. And even though they might be f- facing very hard external problems in the form of slaying a dragon or uh, rising to the head of their company or something like this, there, there are certainly obstacles to them, they are in a position where they are able to command a lot of weight of authority and, and privilege, and take that character and move them to the bottom of a different power structure, put them in a place where suddenly those things no longer exist for them, and see where that story goes. This has been Writing Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go right.
0: Writing Excuses is a Dragonsteel production, jointly hosted by Brandon Sanderson, Dan Wells, Mary Robinette Kowal, and Howard Taylor. This episode was mastered by Alex Jackson. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long standing and respected website, magazine archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror.